How's it going, everybody? Thank you for tuning into the Cultural High Podcast presented by The Standard. Here in the Cultural High Podcast, we're going to tackle today's issues of cannabis, psychedelics, the culture, the people, what they're doing, how they're growing, and how everything's changing. Today with me, I have a very special guest I'm excited to introduce you to, Mr. Arslan Kazi. Oh, what's up, man? How you doing? Mr. Mr. sounds very, uh, sounds like my dad. <laughs> oh, I'm not trying to hold it. I think we're two good friends for that. That's right. No, this is my brother, Arslan Kazi. He has been a mentor, a brother to, to me, someone very special and a very amazing person as well. He's the owner and CEO of Black Market Group. Black Market Group has uh, several different enterprises. Uh, we have Black Market Vape and Smoke. He has shops across, which we're going to talk about that, shops across the Midwest in uh, Wyoming and North Dakota. He also has the Standard by Black Market, which is a hemp company. I'm going to put a little shout out to that. The Standard by Black Market is a luxury hemp brand providing consumers with the best alternative hemp-derived THC products on the market. They use 100% raw hemp oil and cannabis-derived terpenes. And that's all you need to see why The Standard is raising the bar in hemp products. You can find them at thestandardbm.com. Find out why they have the best true-to-strain product on the market, only delivering the best because you deserve it. You said that. Well, dude, it's true. I think uh, I think a lot of people in the world right now, what they do, and I think you and I have talked about this privately before, is they settle. They do. Everybody settles in life. Settles for a girl, settles for a job, settles for a house, settles for a car. I think it's time we stop that. I think one of the big things that people are settling in right now is hemp because everything that's on the market, mm -hmm. I think the best way to put it, there's two ways. One way is... Go to McDonald's and order a Big Mac meal. You know, it's great. It's the job done. You know what to expect. You know, it's mediocrity, but, you know, Big Mac sauce is nice. Mm -hmm. And uh, But then you go to Gordon Ramsay Burger, okay. and it's $5 more. Yeah. But here we go. You get those nice sauces, the... What exactly? I mean, I don't even know. The better is the better. Yeah, well, yes, the meat, right? It's the quality. quality. It's those raw ingredients. Yes. yes. And you know they're the best. Right, it's not just something average that somebody spiced together. And I mean, McDonald's now robots are making it. There's no robots making our product. Yep. yep. Right. It's all people. It's all specialists. It's all the best. The best oil. The best cannabinoids. The best devices. The best intentions. Because that's what counts. Right. That's why you called it uh, the standard. It sounds like this industry needs the bar raised. Yes. And I think what we have made shouldn't be the best. That should just be what's considered average. Sadly, nobody makes anything close and nobody's ever going to. Do you know why? Tell me. Money. Um, it's always money. It's always money. It's always money because, yeah, it is the problem with the world. What we decided to do, what I decided to do with my team is we said F the money. If that's the difference that it takes to make the right product so that people have a great experience with it. So you're saying just like in a lot of other industries in this world that even in hemp, it's taken over to where people are more concerned about the bottom dollar and the margin than giving a good quality product out to people. Definitely. And I think what's kind of happened is we have a lot of operators in the space that are just looking for a quick buck. And I think what they don't understand and something that I really believe in is that, hey man, you know, there's 50 states. There's tons of people that use cannabis. They love cannabis and they don't get to use cannabis. And, you know, the interaction that they have with cannabis in some of these states, 30 plus, mm -hmm. is with hemp. 
And if we give them subpar hemp products, well, how are they going to be active cannabis users? How are we going to change the stigma that is associated with hemp and cannabis? And how are we going to change that narrative, man? You know what I mean? If people, you make products for people that are subpar, shitty, don't do what they say they're going to do. I mean, some of these guys aren't even using cannabis oil. Oh my goodness. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and it's, it's it sounds thickening. Like, it sounds it's like thickening. Was it, it 2015, the scare of like all those bad cartridges yeah. and thing on California, yeah. Oregon and, and everything. Is, and that's this like, is why it happens, right, Bryce? Yeah. It's because people like this, they go out, they try to make a quick buck. They don't care about the consumer. They don't care about the actual product category itself. They have no intentions of changing anything other than what's in their bank account. And and that's got to end. It does. It does. It does. Because it's going to ruin cannabis for a generation of youth because they had this experience with the hemp and now they think that's what cannabis is supposed to be. Things need to change. We're trying to do that and, and be the catalyst for that change. I hear your passion, Arsalan. So oh, let me ask you something. Before we dive into more of the business and stuff, because we're going to get there, I want to ask some things about you. I want to get to know you a little bit more. So- I hear you talking about cannabis and you, you come from a very compassionate side of it and, you know, a very giving and honest side. So I want to ask you, what was your first experience with cannabis? Why, why do you, why do you feel about cannabis this way? What is it, what has it done for you? Well, now you're going to, uh, you're going to make me say some stuff that I've never admitted in my <laughs> life. I'm about to come out the closet. Bringing out the truth on the cultural <laughs> high. Well, uh, dude, I grew up South Asian in a very conservative household. My family's Muslim and so... I mean, to you said add, Muslim. Yes, Muslim. Where are you yeah. from? My family is originally from Pakistan. Pakistan. So am I, believe it or not. Did yeah. you? Were you born there? I was. When I was did you move here? here? I grew up there until I was three. Wow. Okay. And then I came here. I don't really remember much. Yeah. Obviously, I visited a couple times. But you years. immigrated. Your family immigrated. You're an yeah. immigrant. Yeah, yeah, I am, dude. First generation. And I know nobody would believe that, but That's I am. Amazing. Yeah. And so, uh, dude, I'm not going to lie. I forgot your question. Uh, no, it's fine. <laughs> Cannabis, but I kind of want to. Okay, yeah, okay. So you said, so this is amazing. All right, so your your family's from Pakistan. You you came here when you were three. Your, did your whole family immigrate at the same time? Like your mother, father. Yeah, yeah. Well, my dad was already here. He was an entrepreneur. Okay. He was a chef, and he had worked for um, some high end restaurants, doing some work as a chef. And so he was here. We came here. Kind of took off from there. When we came, it was kind of like around the time of the LA riots, and so my dad lost his business oh. and. Literally, when we came, like six months after, we moved from Los Angeles to Utah, where my dad had some family, and so I actually grew up here. And so, not only did I grow up really conservatively, but I grew up in a very conservative yes. place. Yes. What was that like being an being an not only not only moving out from, from LA at that time? I mean, so people coming from other parts of the country, I've heard like people transplanting to Utah. That's just a shock alone as it is. But being an immigrant coming to Utah. What was that like growing up? Right, excuse me. I mean, Utah, ah, oh, man, when we moved here in 1992, man, Utah was a lot different. Growing up here, it was it was really interesting because A, I was an immigrant, and B, I was very different from everybody. And so I felt that. I felt that growing up. Like, I was the only brown kid until pretty much high school. Really? Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's like you're going up and you never see anybody that looks like you. You never talk to anybody that looks like you. How did and that affect you? Yeah. Good and bad. I think it taught me how to be adaptable. Mm -hmm. 
It taught me how to be humble. It taught me how to be sacrificing of my ego, of my pride, mm. understanding that there's always a long scope to things. You can't let that one moment that you have at school or wherever, you know, deter you from who you are intending to become. And so for me, I dealt up with a lot of racism, a lot of bigotry, just a lot of harassment, a lot of different things. But I found equalizers for myself. One of them was sports. One of them was just being smarter than everybody else. One of them was being charming, right? To disarm people before they even engage. And so I learned a lot of skills that helped me become who I am today because of my environment. So did it suck? Hell yeah, it sucked. But did it make me burn that much brighter and harder and work? Hell yeah, it did. And, and it, it put something in me where all I wanted to do was to show all those people that mistreated me, mm. like, look what you missed out on, yeah. right? Like, look who uh, could have been your friend. Yep. Look who could have given you help or advice or been there for you. Have anybody, you know, you talk about that, you know, you could have been my friend, you, you'd mistreated me in the past or anything. As that came back around, if people in the past, you know, they come back around and now they see what you're doing and they try to reattach themselves to you? Uh, no. No. And that's because I don't let it happen. That's good. So, you know, like we talked about a little bit earlier, like I don't have any social medias. You know, I am not anywhere if you Google me and this is probably the only thing you're going to find. Yeah. And and that's it's with intent. And and the reason for that is because I'm a very hyper-focused individual. Uh -huh. And so the way that I achieve anything and everything that I want to achieve is by focusing. Mm -hmm. And so what I do is I cut out all distractions. I cut out all negativity. All I care about is the work. That's all I do. I live it, I breathe it, I eat it, and that's all I want. And I want more and more and more. Explains the passion behind it. Well, yeah, dude. It's like, you know, you got to understand who you are and I know who I am. And what I love is I love creation. I love execution. I love change. I love impact. I love making a difference. You, know, you can do that on a big scale. You can do that on a small scale. Yeah. The whole thing that only matters about it is that you do it. Yes. Right. Because we need more people out there making a difference, changing lives, making impacts in their communities, micro and scale it up if you can. If you can, it's okay. Because if you keep doing micro acts of kindness, micro acts of impact in people's lives, eventually they will do that for others and it will spread. You know what I mean? Like a ripple in a pond. But you're inspiring others. Well, I think I think that's what life's about, right, Bryce? It's about it's about maximizing who you are and and what you can do, and yeah. and and we all have to understand, you know, like in a hundred years, nobody's going to remember us. In two hundred years, nobody's going to remember us, and that doesn't matter because as long as you make an impact in someone's life mm. and they remember you, and then they make an impact in somebody else's life through that remembrance of you and what you did for them, you're living on as an act of kindness. Yes. Right? And I think there's nothing more beautiful than to do that. It's a living legacy that you leave behind. So let's uh, let's get back to that first question I, I asked you. It's my background, guys. Where yeah. I come from, Muslim. Muslim back yeah. Muslim. Yeah. So, yeah, Muslim with background. That, with that background, we yeah. Don't, we don't get into cannabis. No. We don't drink alcohol. Like, you know, my parents found out I was a dating a girl and that was like, you know, the world's for them. You know what I mean? They had heart <laughs> <laughs> He's corrupted. <laughs> America got him. <laughs> but okay, so I actually was a late bloomer, Bryce. I uh, I didn't try cannabis 
Probably until I was 26. 26? Really? 26, yeah. Why? Why'd you wait? Dude, I uh, I never drink. I never smoke. I never did anything. Was that just because of the- It was my discipline. Okay. okay. It started out as beliefs or is there something? when I was younger. It started out as belief when I was younger. But as time grew on and went on, you know, I was in college. I was trying to go to dental school. I was, I had a car to use. I was really you were going to dental school. I was going to. I dropped. Uh, I was. I was. And, you know, I didn't end up becoming a dentist because yeah. it wasn't my passion. I had a plan to not be a dentist after five years of becoming a dentist. That means I wasn't meant to be a dentist, right? Like, I didn't want it. I was just trying to do something to appease my family and to appease the culture that I grew up in, which mm-hmm. is very much. Doctor, lawyer, engineer, you know what I mean? It's not We didn't move to America for nothing, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. We moved here so your ass can go to school and <laughs> bust your ass and in fifteen years later become our four oh one K plan, right? You know, there's TikToks out of it's uh, not, there's TikToks now of like with uh with the with an immigrant child bringing home their parent their report card and if it's not like all perfect like A's like what you're saying? That was my life. That was my life. <laughs> oh, man. I, I remember I got all A's and I got an A minus. And this is fourth grade. And my mom's like, Why'd you get an A minus? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I was like, Other people's parents would be proud, Bob. I have a friend named Spencer. His dad used to give him $100 for a D. What? Yes, dude. And so I told my mom that. No, I need that. And my mom I go back to school. gave me the dirtiest face I ever seen in my life. She's like, Spencer's dad gives $100 for a D. Spencer's dad is going to regret it when Spencer grows up. I was going to ask, so where's Spencer at now? Dude, I don't know. I have no idea. You know that? The- I have no idea, That's but I remember, you know, I bet he's doing good. I heard his dad was real rich. It's nice to have a rich daddy. Yeah, I wouldn't know, but I hear it's nice. Yeah, I wouldn't know. I mean, I mean, Hopefully my kids know. <laughs> we are kids, though. That's right. Right? Well, anyways, back to the question. Yes, for the third time. Third time's a charm. 25 or 26, Okay, so I was 26. Okay. It was it was with a good friend of mine. He also grew up just like me in a very conservative Muslim household. His household is, was even more conservative than mine. His mom did hijab. Oh. So she's always rocking the hijab. His dad's involved in the mosque. But I think that made him rebel a little bit harder. And so he was drinking, he was smoking during high school, and I wasn't. And so he always seemed, like, we'd always joke around with him and be like, oh, he's super chill. You know what I mean? Like, oh, he's laid back. And and honestly, the only reason that it happened is because there was an older cousin of mine who at the time that I kind of looked up to, and he decided to partake. Okay. And so because he did it, I was like, damn, okay, he's doing it. I respect him. He ran a lot of businesses at the time. You know what I mean? He was college educated, the first one from our family here in America. So it just, it felt right. I'm like, okay, if he's going to validate it, then I'm good. And so I tried it and uh, nothing happened. And what was the first thing you tried? Was it a flower? Like you smoked a joint? It was, it was, it was I think it was a joint, dude. Okay. I think it was a joint and I tried it and nothing really happened. Okay. But I didn't feel that great. And so they ended up driving me home home right. and dropping my car off and that was my first time and then after that i was rounded all the time because i would hang out with that friend we'd sometimes like work in the same office together and he'd always be like hanging up he'd have to get like he would have to smoke probably eight joints to get through a day and at the time i was like damn he's got a problem 
<laughs> and so uh, I didn't know. You didn't know. I didn't know. I was uneducated, misinformed. Yes. And so, dude, you know, like I came from a place, especially after that experience, I, I really didn't understand what the whole hubba baloo was mm-hmm. about, about it. You know what I mean? Not to sound too Utah white, but hubba baloo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so- um, I grew up in Wyoming. Same thing. Yeah. 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 That's true. Same era. But um, yeah, dude. So that was that. And then I didn't try it again. And I would say the next time that I tried it was probably like, it was really my birth into it where I was like, okay, I felt something and I was like, this is interesting. And the next time it was, it was with someone that was special to me and, uh, she's actually the mother of my children now, but uh-huh. yeah, that's time I tried it. And so there's a pattern. Yeah. The reason why I tried it was because of people that I really highly respected on that you had. And I loved, yes, exactly. Right. That allowed me to be like, okay, you know what? Let me take a step back and let me just, let me just trust the other person. Like, let me just judge not the product or the person that's telling me to do it. Let me just be open-minded and let me just take the journey and take the ride and let them be my Sherpa. Right. Wish more people would be like that. Yeah. Well, you know, dude, I did it. And, uh, the first time that I did it after that, it was actually really nice. I enjoyed it. I had a great meal, tasted better. (laughs) <laughs> I had a great time that day. Yeah. And so that was kind of the beginning of my usage with cannabis. And I was about 29. Okay. So this is like four years ago that I really got into it. So that's going to bring me into my next. So about, and I know this because of knowing you, but around that same time frame, that's when you opened up your first shop in Wyoming, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it was four years ago. That's literally the year that I started using cannabis. It was 2019. And, uh, it was when I opened up my first store, just like you said, and I was going to Las Vegas a lot. And so I just tried it and then things took a turn from there for Let's me talk and about that. So by the way, guys, so we talked about the enterprises that Arcelon owns, Black Market Vape and Smoke. Uh, he has eight locations, seven in Wyoming, all across the I-80 and I-25 corridor. They're in every major city in Wyoming. Um, and then going across that, they're also expanding into North Dakota in Dickinson, North Dakota. So that's a total of eight stores. Let's talk about that. First shop, Rock Springs, Wyoming, 2019. Why vape and smoke and why Rock Springs, Wyoming? Rock Springs, <laughs> you know what it was? It was destiny. That's really what it was. There's really no other way to kind of slice it. Like I had a store in Salt Lake at the time. It was just called Black Market Vape. Okay. No, there was no smoke. No smoke. Just me because of who I was. Yeah. Right. I didn't want to pick up glass. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to pick up the paraphernalia. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to pick up any of those things because of my judgments against cannabis. I was that stupid that I was literally out there running half a shop, mm-hmm. thinking it's a full store because I just didn't want to be associated with cannabis, and I was missing out on a ton of revenue. And, and honestly, on a huge customer base, yeah. and it was really dumb, but it also kind of played into the fact that Utah had a ton of regulations and they didn't really allow for complete setups like that with certain licensing. And so Utah was just getting worse and worse. And I was like, dude, I got to get out of here. And one day randomly, these kids from Wyoming show up <laughs> from Rock Springs to my store. And it was a Saturday and they spent a ton of money. And they were young. And I was like, dude, where these kids get this cash from? Yeah. And I asked them, I was like, dude, what are you guys, drug dealers? Like, that's <laughs> cool. I don't care. Yeah. 
just keep it real, baby. Yeah. And they're like, no, we work in an oil field out in Rock Springs, Wyoming. Have you heard of it? And I'm like, you know what? One time in a past life, I actually went there. I actually went there once and I hadn't even remembered. I had gone there to buy a Chevy Colorado. Really? Yes. When you did your- uh, When I did my car start car, during car. college. Yep. And so it had been a long time, but I uh, I talked to uh, I talked to my significant other at the time, who's not my wife, mm-hmm. and I told her about it. And she's like, "You gotta go." And so I went that Wednesday, and I went and I toured the town, and I found this spot, and honestly, I just kind of fell in love with it. I just saw the vision of what it could become, and uh, I literally bet everything I had, every bottom dollar, and I took out some consignment stuff mm-hmm. from a friend that owed me a favor. Okay. So when I started that store, you were all in. I was all in, man. I had put every dollar of my, to my name into it and I had borrowed, you know? And so I was all in, I was all into Wyoming. I was all into Rock Springs. I was all into black market vape and smoke. And that's just kind of where the journey began four years ago for me. And and now four years later, eight yeah. stores. Yeah. Yeah. Eight stores still growing, still pushing. And we've been able to accomplish a lot more than eight stores, you know, like yeah. we got, we got involved in the standard. And that was one of the reasons, Bryce, why I started using cannabis was because my entire purpose, my entire reasoning behind the first black market vape and smoke was I wanted to have a dispensary one day. And so my whole aim at the time, my naive aim at the time was, Hey, let me build a store and then let me build more in mm-hmm. this state. Let me build a store everywhere in the state that needs a store and then let me get them set up and let me build the trust of the community and let me, let me change the dynamic here. So when I got to Wyoming, Bryce, before we opened all our stores, like, I don't, I don't know. I'm, nobody knows this. It's Wyoming. Except the guys that are watching from Wyoming. Love (laughs) y'all. But, um, when we opened, man, people in those towns, they were getting price gouged. They were getting price yes. gouged like crazy. Yes. Like, I'm from Wyoming. I remember that. Yeah. 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 Like when I opened in Rock Springs, man, like we sold a bottle of vape juice that was 60 mils, which is a smaller size. Mm-hmm. That's the medium. Yep. And we sold a 60 mil for like 20 bucks. Everybody else was selling their 60 mils for 30 bucks. Yes. Yeah. We sold our 100 mils for 30 bucks. Everybody else was selling their 100 mils for 40, 45. And so, we changed the game. Yes. We came in, we brought that um, big city vibes mm-hmm. with that small town culture and, and feel and care, and we gave them the best prices. So we tried, and yeah. You brought more value to them. That, that, we tried. Yeah. We tried, and we try every day, and, and one of the ways that we do it right now is we don't, we, like a lot of retail chains, they'll, they'll raise prices every year, mm-hmm. and I don't. What I do is I try to work on my margins every year. Yep to to lower them so I can pass that savings on to my customer and keep things where they're at and 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 not be a part of that inflation. Yes. That's that's putting everybody's family in America. You know what I mean? And and if we can try to not do that and try to be reasonable and try to care about our customers and treat them like we wish they would treat us, you know, that's really always the aim, right? Treat others the way that you want to be treated. And so that's what I try to think of. And that's what we try to implement and yeah. But anyways, would you say that's your key to success of why you've been able to expand and, and grow in the last four years to where you're at now? Is bringing that value to people, trying to pack, give them the best quality product that you can for the best price, the best service, 
just across the board and not sacrificing anything on that and always doing your best to deliver that. I think I think that's I think that's a part of it. I, I think success just has so many different variables to it. You know what I mean? I, I think you just have to do so many, so many things mm-hmm. just perfectly right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like there's like a hundred moving pieces and you gotta execute all of them if you want to be the best. And I think the way you treat people and the way you continuously try to show care to them definitely makes a difference. And we try to do that every day within our stores because it's our community and and we take that very seriously. You know what I mean? And talking about giving back to the community. So I'm going to go, I, I'm going to go ahead and say it. You guys are doing something. Rock Springs is their first place. They opened up. So they have Rock Springs, Laramie, two in Cheyenne, two in Casper, one in Gillette, and then one in Dickinson. So after all that, you have something very special going on even today and you're circling back, you're coming back to Rock Springs, Wyoming, and it has to do with your hemp company, The Standard. What, what, and you're bringing something back and so you're coming full circle and, and you're bringing something back to that community. We're trying to. Uh, I actually have to leave after I do this yeah. and I got to go to Rock Springs today. What we're trying to do there is we, we found a piece of land. It's uh, It's a lot of acres. I don't even care. It's 300 acres. The lawyer's going to hit me for that. <laughs> it's uh, 300 acres and I'm trying to develop it. And what we're trying to do with that development is we're trying to create change and it's going to start with our hemp bread. And so what we're going to do is we're trying to build a facility out there, mm-hmm. grow house, an mm-hmm. edibles facility, a warehouse, and a uh, production fulfillment That's facility. Amazing. So we can keep everything in-house yes. a, and have exceptional quality throughout the process of our manufacturing, which is really important to me. And then B, we get to create jobs in the city that gave me my start. And uh, I really believe in full circle. Mm-hmm. I really believe in giving back to those that mm-hmm. gave to you. Yeah. And uh, I'm really excited about it. This is a big passion for me because that town gave me my shot that town gave me my start. That town gave me the capital that I needed to go out and to do all these things and to now be able to come back and to uh, bring a whole brand new industry into that town that's going to be long-term amazing, which is cannabis. Yeah. It's uh, it's really exciting. And, and I think the most exciting part about it is the city, the county, they've been very open. And and they've had their arms open for me, and you know they're they're very welcoming. That's amazing. So they're op- they're open yeah. to a cannabis brand, and so that's not, you've removed the stigmatism. I've tried to, and you know, it's associated with yourself, yeah, or with the with the black market and the standard. Brand. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what we try to do, you know, because uh, you know, over the last four years that I've been in Wyoming, I've tried to make relationships with city council members, and then you know, like the mayor, and just whoever else I can. Because I find it to be very important that these cities understand that we're not coming in there trying to, uh, you know, sell to underage kids or to promote any type of negativity in their town. And so we work with the police departments. We work with the community leaders to ensure that uh, they feel comfortable and, and, and we have the right messaging out there for the kids. And so... This Rock Springs project is amazing, Bryce, and I, I, I wish we could just talk about it for an hour. Yeah, I no, would. so much. But it's uh, it's that facility that we were talking about, and then after that, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be creating like kind of a social equity piece, which is going to be uh, uh, ATV, motocross, off-road dirt track, archery mm, course, community, axe Stuff. throwing. We're going to try to build this carnival thing out there for the kids, and 
kind of, you know, they love county fairs in Wyoming. Yeah. And so we're going to try to take that business model and turn it into something that can be used all the time and allow people from the state to bring all the kids down there for free with the school board and stuff like that. And And there's nothing like that. For those of you that don't know, like I said, Wyoming, Wyoming doesn't even have, has barely over half a million people in the entire state. And there's nothing like this in Wyoming. And so for a company to give back and bring something like this to Wyoming, it is going to have a huge impact. And especially like in a community like Rock Springs, it's a small knit community. Everybody knows everybody. This is going to have a huge footprint and it's, it's really going to do something very positive and actually get, give a reason for people to come to that city, you know, which is going to boost the city as, as a whole. That's, that's kind of the hope. And, uh, that's kind of what I'm meeting with the city today to discuss is phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four of our plan and, you know, how it's going to impact the youth, how it's going to impact the city, how we can use everything that I will build to, uh, change the tide, to improve quality of life. And to give uh, the people in that town something to do so that way they want to stick around. Because I think that's one of the things that Americana, small town Americana is Mm -hmm. facing right now is nobody wants to invest there. And nobody wants to improve their quality of life. And so all these people in all these beautiful communities all across America, they have to keep leaving if they want to give their kids more opportunity. And so my whole vision is, is why don't we bring the opportunity to them? Because through my uh, journey with the black market group and everything that we've done, I, I've invested in small town America mm-hmm. and, I, and I've gotten great returns from it because those people, they're very hardworking, kind, caring people. You know what I mean? They care about family. They care about respect. They care about our country. They care about liberty. They care about, they just care about making a difference in the people's lives that actually touch them every day. You know, like mm-hmm. they're not as much worried about their social media yeah. and all this bullshit. Like they're, they're not as caught up in that, right? Taking that one breath at a time, yeah. day at a time. Exactly. And and so why doesn't anybody think about the little guy, right? Because yeah. there's way more little guys than there are big guys out yeah. there. Yeah. And so I care about the little guy and we care about the little guy because we are the little guy. And so we got to care for each other. We, we got to look out for each other. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what the Rock Springs Project is about. It's about us winning but it's also about the city winning, the county winning, because they get more tax revenue, they get a new industry. And hopefully if I come, more people will want to come too, because they're being so cool and so friendly and so caring and so nice and so supportive. And and the people in those towns that used to be oil towns mm-hmm. or mine towns, I mean, that's something that we should think about yeah. as Americans. It's as we way. To clean energy. Yes. We need to build infrastructures yes. and invest in different in different, uh, you know, industry in, in these towns to replace what industry. they're losing. Yeah, bro, they need it. They need it. Otherwise, uh, it's just going to dry up. We've seen, I mean, that's happened in towns before where in North Dakota, you've seen that all over Montana, South Dakota with the oil towns. So, man, we could keep talking all day. I'm definitely going to have to have you on for a part two sometime. <laughs> I do have one last question. With everything, the way cannabis is going federally, we're looking at legalization within, you know, some would say three to five, maybe five to 10 years. What are you doing to become a part of that? And, and then how are you raising the bar in that? What Bryce is trying to get out of me is I actually, we have a, uh, cannabis consumption lounge. Yes. That's in what I was, Las Vegas, Nevada. Did you guys hear that? Say that again, Rashad. We have a cannabis consumption lounge license. And so it's going to be hopefully standard brand. You know, I, I strongly feel 
for cannabis. I, f- I feel like it's the future. I feel like 18 to 34, there's like 67% of yes. kids are smoking versus drinking. Yep. Every dollar that goes towards medical cannabis constitutes 67 cents going away from alcohol sales and certain research studies. Yep. And so cannabis is next. Yes. I mean, cannabis has been, it's been there. Here, it's really. But it's, it's coming. And it's coming because of people like you and, and people of your generation and people of generations preceding that and, and them making that difference, them fighting that change, them getting incarcerated, them doing all the heavy lifting for us. They're the reason why it's so hot right now and it's going to be the biggest thing in the world. Yes. I think it's going to be bigger than alcohol, yep. nicotine, pharmaceuticals, yep. sex pills. I think cannabis is the next tech. I think this is a cycle from 20 years ago. Back then, people were like, hey, man, I just invested in Yahoo. The stock's going up. There's some big, big cannabis companies out there in Canada, in Europe, and other Canada places. definitely. Some yeah, and they have stock and yep. who came from a place of intolerance for it and come and change their mind and and hopefully become like Yes, yeah. And understand what cannabis does for you. I'll be honest, before we dip out of here or whatever, like this year, I would say is probably the first year where I really used cannabis like truly used it, like this 2022. Mm-hmm. And I needed it because we were growing as a company and there was a lot going on and I was always on edge because every day of my life was like life or death for me for a very long time. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't really come from anything. These are opportunities that I have. It's, it's through my hard work, my perseverance and by finding amazing people to join me and believe in me and embrace my vision as theirs along the way, you know what I mean? And then together we collaboratively mold that vision yeah. to what fits us at the moment. But yeah, man, this opportunity is just incredible and uh, we're just really excited for it. And we just hope we do it justice because if we do, I think we can change a lot of people's minds and I think we can kind of burrow our way into a lot of people's hearts and I think we can help them understand what cannabis does for you. Well, Arslan, I, I thank you so much for coming on and letting people learn about you and the companies and, and hear from someone that, as you said yourself, didn't immigrate it, didn't come from anything. And through hard work, dedication, perseverance, you have created something that is impacting tons of people, way even outside of your footprint of just your employees and their families, but you're impacting communities that you're in and, and you're expanding that reach. I want to thank you for that. Thank you for you know sharing stuff with us and allowing people to see that just because you use cannabis, you can still be a very productive person, still have a big impact. You know, we're not all just a bunch of dreadhead stoners out here. No. We are productive people that use it Absolutely. as a medicine in life and that it helps and brings benefits to our life and enlightens, like you said, and brings clarity. So thank you for sharing all that today. Dude, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Congrats on the podcast. Hey, episode one. I'm, I'm honored to be the first guest. Yeah, brother. I wish you uh, much success with this. I think it's going to be amazing. Thank I think you, you're going to hit it. Thanks, bro. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.